Acts of 2022. And we're excited about what is ahead, what we can do as a church to move forward, to move in a, a certain direction, to not be in one place, but to move uh, and progress. I know the word progressive scares some people, uh, but uh, we do want to progress. We want to move forward. And uh, and I'm excited about what the Lord has for us this year. And we'll explain more of that in the afternoon service with exact practical ways in which we plan to do so. Um, you know, we, we're in a spot in America today where the church cannot afford to stand in one place. We're not in a place in America today where, where we can afford for the church to be complacent. But it needs to be moving. It needs to be active. It needs to be alive. And I've been in churches where uh, the church was happy with where they were, but they didn't really have any desire to do anything else. They were happy with the people they had. They were happy with the size they had. They were happy with the ministries they had. Uh, they were happy with everything that they were doing, and so they just kind of stayed in that spot for years. There was never any progress. And the problem with that is you're not doing what God desires for you to do. There is a time to stand still, but there is a time to go forward. And I believe the time for our church to go forward is now. We look here in Exodus, starting in verse 13. And this is the children of Israel. They have now come to the Red Sea. And they weren't sure what was going to happen because now the Egyptians had followed them. They were chasing them. And so they appear to be trapped between the army of Egypt and the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. What's going to happen? And they were murmuring and complaining, as they we know that was their character uh, throughout the next several years. Uh, but they were saying, Moses, why did you bring us here to die? We could have stayed in Egypt and died, or we could have even stayed in Egypt and lived. Why are we here? Moses now speaks in verse number 13, and he says, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them uh, again no more forever. It's a great message, by the way. He basically says, Have a little faith. Stand still and see God deliver you. The Lord shall fight for you, he says in verse 14, and ye shall hold your peace. And then in verse 15, God speaks. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Even though our theme is forward, I have entitled this message, Why Are You Still Here? I pray the Lord would use the verses today and the, and the message today to encourage us to move forward. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray that as we look at a couple different passages, Lord, that you would help this, this message, these verses, these passages, God, that they would speak to our hearts, and that they would challenge us to move forward, to do more, to be better in this, this new year. And God, I pray that you'd help me as I deliver it, that I would do it clearly, and more importantly, correctly. And God, I pray that you would help us this morning. Speak to our hearts, clear our minds, 
of the distractions of yesterday, of the distractions of this morning, the distractions of this afternoon. Lord, just help us to receive today what you want for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading through this passage again this week to prepare for the message, and if, if you remember, you may not. We preached out of this passage back in September when we introduced the theme. And we talked about going forward and ways that we should go forward. If you don't remember, I'd encourage you to go back. Uh, it's in the, the podcast version on Spotify or Anchor or Apple. Uh, go back and listen to it. It's from September. You can find it. It's entitled Forward. Um, and listen, listen back to that. But as I was reading through this passage again, because I wanted to preach something different than the message that I preached back in September, something caught my eye this time. I thought it was interesting because Moses, I think good intentioned, and I think in, in many ways right, he says to the people, stand still, be still. Uh, it kind of goes back to that same thought of be still and know that I am God. It's a, it's a calm down, it's a relax, it's a take a second, take a breath, stand still. And he says you're going to see the salvation of the Lord, and the Egyptians that you see today, you're not going to see them ever again. It's a message of victory. It's a message of faith. It's a message of watch what God can do. And I believe, and this is this sentence is my opinion, but I believe Moses believed that God was going to wipe out the Egyptians right there in front of their eyes, which God would eventually do, but I don't think it's the way that Moses thought it was going to happen. So his message to the people is stand still and watch. Stand still and see. He says in verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. It's a great message. It's everything that he said is true. God did fight for them. God did deliver them. They never saw those Egyptians again, other than floating on the sea. But God speaks up in verse 15, and he says to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? That's the question. And he says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Moses just said, stand still, which again, not wrong. He was saying, calm down. But God says, Moses, it's time to move. And God would deliver them, and God would give them victory, and God would engulf the Red Sea over the Egyptian army. But while Moses, I believe, and again, my opinion, I believe that Moses thought, we're going to stand here, and God's going to wipe out Egypt. And then we'll figure out where to go from there. And while Moses said, stand still, God said, go forward. And as a church, I think sometimes we spend too much time standing still and not enough time going forward. A lot of that happens because we're not praying and asking God what's your desire. A lot of that happens because we still, in, in, in faith, like Moses saying, God will take care of us. God will grow us. God will bless us. God will provide for us. But while we're saying that, we kind of have the mindset of all we got to do is stand here and watch. When God is saying, you got to move. you got to get up. you got to do something. So I believe God wants us to go forward, and I've got three reasons why we won't. Three reasons why we won't go forward. It's the same three reasons I think we find here, but we're going to look in two other passages as well. We'll start here, though, in Exodus. The number one reason why we won't go forward is fear. Fear. In Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Why did Moses say that to the people? Because they were afraid. 
they were freaking out. <laughs> Moses, what in the world? We thought we were in the clear. We left Egypt, and now here they are. They've got their chariots and their horses and their soldiers and their swords and their spears, and now they're going to either kill us or they're going to take us back, and it's going to be worse than it was when we were there before. We could have just stayed. And Moses said, fear not, because they were afraid. We don't read anywhere where the, the, the mass majority looked at Moses and goes, all right, Moses, we're ready, what next? We don't see anywhere where anybody goes, hey, everybody calm down, until Moses speaks. Hey, everybody calm down. God's got this. What we see is a community in fear. Chaos. Loud voices saying, we're all going to die. Keep us the highest priority. Ultimately, angry at God. Why would you bring us out here to die? Fear. Why did they have fear? It's the same reasons why we have fear today. Number one, a lack of faith. A lack of faith. There was no faith that God was going to take care of them. Even though God delivered them out of Egypt, even though God sent the signs, the amazing things that God did with the plagues and the other things in Egypt, his own children still didn't have faith that he could handle the situation. We're the same way. I've seen every single one of us post something on Facebook about our faith, about how God's provided us, God's protected us, and God's done good things. And I've seen every single one of you on Facebook. Everybody else, I've seen posting things that God is good, God's done this, God's provided. I believe that God is going to continue to take care of us. And yet still, we have fear that God has to take care of us. No matter what we see God do in our lives, there's still these moments where we don't have the faith that God can take care of us. The children of Israel were the same way. They had fear. They lacked faith. Not only that, but another reason why they had fear was a dependence of self. It wasn't just a lack of faith in God. It was the fact that they were depending on themselves. Even though God delivered them out of Egypt, they felt like, you know, if they if they could have done it, they would have. They didn't want to. It's kind of like God made them leave Egypt, and they were pretty comfortable being there. And now they're looking at it, and they look at the situation, and they go, well, I can't do anything about this. So that means we're all going to die. They were dependent on themselves to get them out of the situation. They were dependent on Moses to get them out of the situation. They weren't depending on God. It wasn't only a lack of faith in God. It was too much promotion of themselves. And even though they didn't think they could do it, it was because they didn't think they could do anything about it. They just assumed they were defeated. The third reason why they had fear and this is something, I think it's, it's slightly my opinion, but if you've at least hear me out on it, you can decide whether or not you think it's good or not. They followed people out of Egypt, not God. I was looking through this and thinking through this, and 
I wondered why so quickly the children of Israel uh, failed in their faith. And I began to think, I wonder if they followed Moses more than they followed God. I wonder if there was a, in their minds, Moses came and he was, grew up in Pharaoh's house and now he was this leader that they could follow. And they marched out of Egypt following Moses more so than following God. When they came across their first sign of trouble, they knew Moses couldn't do that. Many in churches follow people, family, friends, spouses, parents, church, to God. But when it becomes personal, they're sitting there looking around going, now what? Well, I came to church because my family encouraged me to come to church. But now there's a trial in my life. I've seen my family and their faith. I've never seen Christ himself. I've never following God and following my family. Kids need to play at home church. That's why at some point I'll be teaching and praying they bring them to church. They learn the habits. They learn the importance of it. We want them ultimately to have a relationship with God, but they come to church for God and not for mom and dad. They come to church because they know that's what God desires for them to do, not what mom and dad desires for them to do. So that when they get out of mom and dad's house, they still go to church. We follow people as opposed to God. And the moment anything goes wrong, our first reaction is back to Judah as opposed to Christ. I look at the children of Israel, and until they cross into the promised land with Joshua, it seems like they're just kind of following Moses wherever he goes. And every time they come across a problem, it's, come on, Moses. We're thirsty. Come on, Moses. We're hungry. Come on, Moses. We're tired. Moses, why did you bring us here? Moses didn't do that. Begin to see this this week as I was studying through this, and I thought it almost seems like they're following Moses and not God. Now God delivered them, God brought them out, but until they get to the the promised land, until uh, after Moses dies and that generation dies, and now it's a fresh generation following under the, lead, the 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 leading and the guidance of Joshua, who's following God, and God splits the Jordan River, and they walk across into the promised land, and they begin to take the promised land. They march around Jericho. They deal with the situation at Ai. And they begin to march through, and Caleb says, I want that mountain. And they go through all these things, and it's then that they start to see this victory and this consistent uh, uh, rejoicing. Now, eventually they begin to disobey God, and all of a sudden things go right. But for that moment, it feels like they're following God finally. After years of wandering the wilderness, murmuring and complaining because Moses isn't doing what they want. To me, again, my opinion appears to me like the children of Israel weren't following God. They were following a person. And so when problems came, immediately they went back to Peter. Because they didn't have faith in God to begin with. And a lot of times in America, Christians grow up or they follow people into church. Maybe it's a neighbor who loves on them, 
shares the gospel with them. They go to church for their neighbor, and they never go to church for God. And then problems come up, and then immediately it becomes the importance of when we share the gospel with people, or when we're just loving people, we point them to God, and not ourselves. Now Moses didn't point them to himself. I'm not saying that he did. But a lot of times in American Christianity, we point to us. Boy, I was really nice to this person. I've talked about that in the videotaping of helping someone. I got to make sure everyone knows that I did this great thing for someone. <laughs> I'm not doing it for God. I'm not following God. So when problems come, we're going to fall off. I've been a pastor for 10, going on 11 years now. I've been in ministry my whole life. My dad worked in ministry and grew up in ministry. I've been in church my whole life. It feels like I can tell you the people who, when they come across a problem, they're going to fight for their faith. Versus the people that I can tell you, when they come across a problem, they're going to stay in the faith. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be down. They're going to be discouraged for a while. Those are the people that you know, even though they're going through hard things. Maybe they don't understand why. Maybe they're even questioning God about it. You know that their first reaction is not to say, God, I don't know why. I might be discouraged, but I'm depending on you to help me through it. And there are other people, and you just know it. As soon as a problem comes, they'll get out of church. And then maybe it'll be a month. Maybe it'll be a year, maybe it'll be several years later where you're going to say, I need to get back in church. They never do. Church is not a magic, it's a place. You know what church is? It's the place that God created, established, sustains, sustains, encourages you, repeats you. If you don't go to church, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you don't go to church, not going to happen. Now, if you can't build this here, it might happen. One of the reasons why we don't go forward while we're still here instead of where we're supposed to be is fear. Number two is comfort. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 1? We're going to look at several verses in Acts. Acts is a great book as we see a church just blossom. Just grow, uh, just be used of God in, in a mighty way. We start the book of Acts with the day of Pentecost, where the apostles stood up and they preached, and everyone, no matter what language they spoke, heard the message in their own language. I say this, this is not part of the sermon, it's not in my notes. I'm talking about speaking in tongues. Every time in the scriptures, when they talk about speaking in tongues, people understood can't understand what you're saying, just gibberish. But here God gave the gift of tongues, and as they preached, everyone, no matter their language, understood in their own language what was being preached. It was a miracle of God. Thousands of people were saved, and churches were begun to establish. In Acts 1, verse 8, God gives the command. After telling them at the beginning of verse 8 that you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And it says you shall be witnesses both unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria 
and on the uttermost parts of the earth. So there's going to be a great impact of the gospel there. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 47. We're going to do a lot of flipping in this this section. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Every day they were seeing people saved. Every day they were seeing new people come into the church and become a part of the church. Turn with me to chapter 5 and verse 42. Verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This was an active, moving forward church. Every day they were preaching. Every day they were teaching. Every day in the temple and in the houses, they were going and sharing the gospel and they were seeing people saved. Verse number 1 of chapter 6, And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there was murmuring in the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The church was growing. It was multiplying. And as it was growing, there began to be a neglect. They weren't prepared, it seemed like, for this part of church growth. And so they established in verse chapter 6 here, uh, 12, and they had uh, disciples that came and they were now given responsibility. Take care of here. You're taking care of the widows. You're helping with this. And they began to put into place these, these helpers, these, uh, these, these guys that would come alongside the preachers and help with the daily activities of the church to make sure that the church was still functioning in a way that it was supposed to, helping people, not neglecting people. And it also gave time to the preachers to have time to study and prepare so that they could teach. What we begin to see here in this, this early church in Acts is a comfort. So quickly it blossomed, so quickly it bloomed, so quickly it was blessed. And the church grew, and there were all these people now in this church, and there was so much going on, and there was so much good going on. But God mentioned back in Acts 1 that they were not only going to be preaching in Jerusalem, but also Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And from everything we can see here, much of the Christians that were saved at Pentecost kind of stayed in one general area. so much that needed to be done. But it was comfortable there. They knew those people. They were friends with those people. God was blessing all those sorts of things. But they still had not really gone forward outside of right there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. And Saul, who later we would call, call Paul, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Uh, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Skip down to verse number 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. We see now God moving the church. Verse 26, 
it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way. Go down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. We see that after the time of the church in Jerusalem growing and and being blessed and good things happening, and I'm not anti the church in Jerusalem. God was doing great things in the church, but it seemed like they got comfortable there. Where they didn't have a vision for what next. And God said, I told you something. And so persecution came, and as the persecution came, now people spread. And where did they go? They went to Judea, and they went to Samaria. Interesting, because that's what was mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. And everywhere they went, they preached the word, it says there in verse 4 in chapter 8. And then we see Philip, after having great blessings there in Samaria and and, and preaching Christ and and people being saved, uh, God says, Philip, I want you to leave now. And guess what Philip did? He obeyed. Now, I'm not preaching that you should leave the church. (laughs) Please understand that. God wants you to, by all means, but... What I'm saying is, is God doesn't want us just to sit. He wants us to go. He wants us to reach the people around us. He wants us to send missionaries out to reach other people. Philip didn't just go by himself. The church helped him. The church gave him what he needed, supported him, sent him, provided for him. The same thing they did with Paul later. And with others as well. We see proof of the church sending people out to reach these other areas because God doesn't call the entire church to pack up and go everywhere. But He calls us to be moving. To be active. But our comfort allows us to kind of just stay where we are. God's done great things in our church. He's grown our church. He's grown me here. But now we've kind of hit a plateau. Somewhat comfortable. I guess we all get along pretty well. We all kind of know each other's quirks and and uh, and know how to respond to them. But what's next? God says the time to work is now. He says there's a day coming in which we'll not be able to work anymore. Rest comes on the other side. Don't be comforted or too comfortable if you won't do what God has for you. Number three, kind of fits along this line of complacency. Why won't we go forward? Number one, fear. Number two, comfort. Number three, complacency. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. The most convicting passage my life is right here. I've spent my entire life in church. I've missed Sundays. I've missed Sundays. Uh, I've been in church my whole life. When I was born, my family went to church at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I was saved at home, but I, I was baptized at Franklin Road under Pastor Kelly. Pastor Kelly left, a new pastor came in who is the uh, 
From then until uh, I was in college, we went to Calvary Baptist Church in Smyrna, Texas. That's the later version. I grew up, I was in junior church there, Sunday school, Awanas, youth group. Uh, a lot of formidable years were spent at Calvary Baptist Church. While I was in college, I went to Berean Baptist Church as a worship pastor up in Shelby, New Hampshire. Love Pastor Scott to this day. Of course, he's in touch with them and his congregation there. A group from their church came down and helped us with the fellowship conference. Uh, Pastor Swanson, kind of who I call my pastor still, um, because my pastor no longer pastors, but I don't have a pastor. So Pastor Swanson's kind of the one that I look at as my pastor. And God has blessed this church, and God used Pastor Swanson and the people of Green Baptist Church when I was trying to get away from God. God used them for me. So God has blessed my life. When I got out of college, me and my wife, we went to Spring Meadow Baptist Church in Franklin, Tennessee. We were there for about a year, and it felt like God wanted us somewhere else. So we went to Temple Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And uh, there God really put on our hearts to serve, and we got some youth group to work in the youth group, and we did some stuff for music and things like that. And then from there, God called us to pastor, and we went to Indiana, and God has done that. churches and all that time in my life, there were probably more years that I fall into the category that we just had a great worship service than the category that God wanted me to be in. Complacency. Going through the routine, doing the right thing, but not doing it with the right reason. Not doing it with the right motive not being effective. I've had more opportunity to serve God in my life. I say more than anyone I want, but I've had more wasted opportunities than I feel like giving away. With the opportunities that I've been given as a child to serve God. In Revelation chapter 3, look in verse number 15. The Bible says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, that thou neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Here he approaches the church of Laodicea. And he says, you sit still. 
heavy that day. And he says, you are neither cold or hot. But I'd rather you be cold or hot. What you are is lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. I don't know about you, but when I hear God say that, I think, ooh, I don't think I want to be with you. He sits there and he looks at a church and he says, you're just there. And what good are you? this and we read this and we go, well, wait a second. You read through the, the curses here in Revelation and you think, okay, well, where are we? Where do we fit in? Are we like this church of Laodicea? He says in verse 17, uh, you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He says, but you don't even know. And the words that he used here, he says, you don't... Um, uh, you know it's not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Because you have so many needs you don't even realize. You think that you got everything that you want, and you need so much more. Just try what I have to offer you. I can give you riches that are tried by fire. I can clothe you to cover up your shame. He says in verse 19, because I love you, I rebuke and I chasten, I correct, I try to wake you up, because I love you, he says. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be active. I want you to move forward. And then he says there in verse number 19, be zealous and repent. You can't be zealous and standing still. You're zealous, you're moving forward. And why do they have to repent? Because they weren't. <laughs> because they were lazy. Because they were lukewarm. Elijah preaches in 1 Kings 18, he said, if the Lord be God, follow him. Meaning, either follow him or don't. He says, Elijah continues to preach it, but Baal, then follow him. Who is God? Do you know who God is? Okay, if you believe that he's God, then follow him. Just do what he says. Just obey him. And God desires a relationship, an active relationship for us. In verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here. If any man hear my voice and open the door, what does God say he'll do? I will go in with him. I will sup with him. I'll fellowship with him. We'll have a relationship. God, I'm here. I'm waiting on you to open the door. And then he says, if you overcome, 
verse 21, to him that overcometh, what are we talking about? Well, in the context of the passage, laziness, lukewarmness, disobedience, the one that opens the door for God, him will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I've overcome and am sat with my father. presence of God is everything to a Christian. God doesn't live in the building where you pretend God's house. His presence is everything to a Christian. Where two or three are gathered, wisdom to do what I tell you to do, but I'm not going to tell you to do it all while you sit around and eat. But I want to use you to accomplish my will. God doesn't need me. God could preach the message this morning if he wanted to. He could vocally, and we could all be sitting out there listening to God's that's the way he wanted to do it. But you know what God says? I have called men to stand and preach. And through them, I share my message. He says, I have my children that I use to go into the community and share my message. I have my children that I use to go all throughout the world to share the gospel. So God just audibly speaks it and could. But he's chosen to use us. What are we doing? Why are we still here? Why are we not going forward? We cannot afford as a church to stand still right now. We have to go forward. But fear, comfort, and probably a million other things keep us from doing so. Are you going to let anything hold you back? In the afternoon service, we'll look at some practical things that we're going to do as a church together to move forward to the place that I believe God wants us to be. But He's not going to do it if going to do it if we just stand still. Can he do it? You bet. Will he do it? Don't believe so. Not unless we follow. Not unless we obey. Not unless we go. Moses said to the people, stand still and see what God can do. And God said, no, why do you ask me to do that? Tell the people to go forward. Nothing that Moses said was wrong. God did fight them. God did give them victory. But after they went forward. I love our church. I, to this day, I brag on our church. I tell other pastors, I'm the luckiest pastor in the world. 
day one, when we started this church, God is going to use Bible passage as a prophetic community and a message. God's going to use this church in a unique way to impact the world. I believe that with all my heart. I'm not just saying that. I don't like to get too weirdly spiritual, but I believe God's told me. to go forward, and we want to go forward together. Me and my family can go forward, and maybe God will bless us. Two or three families can go forward, and maybe God will bless us. But if all of us go forward, 100% will not for God. If we're all walking in obedience together, no doubt in my mind, God wants us with more people like that. How do I know that? Because God says, go out and tell God. I'll bless the rest of you. Let's push forward so we can see the blessing. And let's accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Lord, I pray for your help. I can't do it without you. Yes, we have to commit. Yes, we have to, to obey. Yes, we have to follow. But Lord, at the end of the day, you are our strength. Give us what we need. Lord, we know we already see it this weekend, the challenges that are going to come our way. Just, just some small examples of the challenges that we've had this weekend. God, I pray that you help us to commit to you. Not commit to this church, not commit to this pastor, not even commit to the people in this room, but Lord, to commit to you. We will follow you and we'll do what you want us to do. We'll be the Christian that you want us to be. Bowed and our eyes closed. Would you stand with me if you're able? The piano can go ahead and play. The invitation is open. What's keeping you from going forward? Is it fear? Is it comfort? Is it complacency? Is it something else that God spoke to you about? Give it over to Him now. Would you at the very least this morning pray and tell God, commit to Him, God, I will go forward? Would you pray for your fellow church members that God would help them? As they would go forward with you. Would you pray for your pastor? That he would go forward too. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your vision. I just pray that you'd help us to serve tonight with that vision. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to work together selflessly in love and serve. God, give us vision. Things that we have plans and other things that we will plan to do. God, help us to do things that will be effective to help you serve better. Give us the request that we give to you today. And Lord, we're excited that you have been answered and you're going to bless in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your good attention.